welcome to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. My name is Stuart Pedley-Smith, Head of Learning at Kaplan UK. In this series, you're going to hear from both students and experts as we take a look at a range of topics related to personal and career success in the world of accountancy and finance. My guest today is Dr. Nishi Bhopal. She's an integrative psychiatrist and sleep specialist based in San Francisco. Nishi is passionate about learning and is here today to talk to us about two aspects of how sleep impacts how we learn. Firstly, in terms of the role it plays in memory consolidation. And secondly, the importance of sleep on mental well-being. Nishi, thanks for joining me today on the Kaplan Learn Better podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Nishi, I, I have to ask this term that's in your introduction, an integrative psychiatrist. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So psychiatry is the field of medicine that pertains to mental health and well-being. Integrative psychiatry brings in integrative elements of holistic medicine. So what that means is that not only are we bringing in psychotherapy and medication management into psychiatry, which is sort of the crux of conventional psychiatry practice, but we're also blending elements of mind-body medicine, yoga, meditation, nutrition, diet, supplements, and so forth. So it truly is a holistic approach to mental health and well-being. I mean, obviously, psychiatry as an area of medicine is, is pretty broad, it's pretty wide, but you've chosen specifically to focus on on sleep and specialize in that area. So what was it that kind of drew you in that area? Was it something when you were first studying that you became interested in, or is there something more to it than than that? Well, I'd say there's there's a few aspects to to why I became so interested in sleep. Well, one of them was purely selfish, just to understand how I could sleep better. It's something that I've always struggled with. I was that sleepy student in class that could barely stay awake in the afternoon, in my afternoon lectures, and I could never really get a handle on it. And then when I was going through my psychiatric residency training, I saw that so many of my patients had issues with sleep, either feeling really sleepy during the day or struggling with insomnia and never being able to rest and relax. And I saw firsthand how sleep was so fundamental to their mental health. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to improve your depression, anxiety, reduce stress levels, and of course, optimize learning, as we're going to speak about today, without adequate sleep. So I became really interested in learning more about how to help my patients with their sleep. And in medical school, at least in the, in the U.S., you receive only about two to three hours of sleep education throughout your whole training. So after my psychiatric residency training, I went on and I did a sleep medicine fellowship. So now in my practice, I, I bring in elements of integrative psychiatry, but also sleep medicine. You know that I've got the Matthew uh, Walker book, which I've read because I've done a little bit of blogging on sleep. And um, he, he's got a quote, he says, it must do something. If not, you know, it's a major evolutionary design error. You know, if we spend a third of our lives doing something that our body insists that we do, and if there's nothing to it, then other than closing our eyes, it's a terrible waste. You know, we could all have a third more life, couldn't we, if, if there is, isn't something really valuable and meaningful in the process of sleep. That's exactly right. I mean, Matthew Walker wrote this book, Why We Sleep, because we don't really know why we sleep. We know kind of what happens during sleep, but it's still one of the great mysteries in medicine and science. 
Yeah, which was where I was going next, really, is what, what is sleep? Because so just, just to remind the audience, we're looking at two things here. Firstly, the aspect and its impact on learning, and secondly, its impact on mental, mental well-being. But I think it'd be useful if we understood what sleep is. And then I know you've just told me that we don't know what, why, but I'm going to push you on it and see if we can get a few ideas as to what we think it does. So, so firstly, what, what is it? What does sleep mean from your perspective? Sleep is a state of being where your awareness to your environment and to environmental stimuli is reduced. And this is different from hibernation or death or being in a coma because you can rapidly reverse it. So that's kind of what separates it from being in a coma, for example. Um, but essentially, when you're in a state of sleep, you are unresponsive and unaware of what's going on around you. Right. I'm going to throw something else in here. So when you say you're unresponsive, and these are questions that I've been asked over, over years and particularly in things about sleep. And I've read a little bit around the idea of how unresponsive you are. Is it possible to learn anything you know there's the, around the idea of playing recordings of lectures and notes or, or are we completely does that not go anywhere if, if you if you drowse off listening to something what what does that do cognitively does that do anything or are we just completely not there so to speak yeah so that's a really interesting question and so when we think about learning there are actually three primary aspects to learning there's acquisition consolidation, and recall. So acquisition is when we're acquiring new information. Uh, so we're listening to a lecture, we're listening to a podcast, we're reading a book. That happens primarily during wakefulness. So that acquisition of, of new information is happening when you're awake. Recall is when you are remembering what you've learned. Maybe you're teaching it to somebody mm. else or you're giving the lecture. This also happens during wakefulness when you're, you're pulling that information and you're recalling it. But that middle aspect, that consolidation aspect of learning and memory happens primarily during sleep. And that's what's really fascinating. Right. So when you're, you're studying for an exam, for example, or um, you're preparing for a lecture and you're acquiring new information, it's that consolidation piece that happens during your sleep that's incredibly important. So the acquisition part is not going to work because if you're asleep, you're asleep. So, so when you say consolidation, so this is the this is I suppose going to the nub of the question as to why, from a cognitive point of view, that we sleep. So if we went through a day, we've been in lectures, presentations, or even if people have just been at work, they've got millions of thoughts flying through their heads. Is sleep consolidating? those and, and what's the the physical process when you talk about consolidation what what exactly is it doing yeah so there's a couple of aspects there as well um, there was actually a really interesting study recently that showed that not only are we consolidating the information during sleep but we're also getting rid of extraneous information that we don't need to know that's happening during our sleep as well so with regard to consolidation uh, there's a couple of aspects to that so we have two main types of memory there's declarative memory and procedural memory declarative memory is uh, when you're repeating facts so for example you know if I asked you what's the capital of France you're relying on declarative memory to pull that information. And declarative memory becomes consolidated during different aspects of sleep, including REM sleep and deep sleep, which is a separate stage of sleep. Procedural memory is memory that involves motor functions. So for example, if you're working on your golf swing or you're learning how to do a, a physical task, 
you rely on procedural memory for that. And those memories become encoded primarily during REM sleep. So those are the, the different aspects of, of consolidation and the different types of memory. What also happens with consolidation is not only are you encoding those memories, but you're also filing them into the right cabinets, so to speak, in your brain. So that when you are trying to recall that memory during the day when you're awake, your, your neurons can fire in the right spot to, to remember those things. So I visualize the brain almost like a filing cabinet, almost like an office where you've got multiple filing cabinets. And with sleep deprivation, you can imagine that you have an office with papers everywhere, nothing's filed in the right places. And so it's hard to find the right information. But with adequate sleep um, and optimal sleep quality, your brain is actually able to file all of that information away in the right places so that it's organized and it's easier for you to access during wakefulness. So you've just described the perfect process of you know, going to sleep and then you wake up and you're lovely refreshed and, you, and your brain is as wide awake as you are in the first thing in the morning. But what about lack of sleep? What, how does that part fit in? What does that do? So we could I say, well, it doesn't consolidate, but what does it brings other problems as well, I guess. Yeah, so lack of sleep can cause a myriad of different kinds of problems. And I kind of think of lack of sleep in, in two camps. So I think of it as short term. So there are certain short term problems that happen with insufficient sleep. And then there are also chronic long term issues that can happen over time. So over the course of, of many years of chronic sleep deprivation. So when we think about short term issues with sleep quality or sleep deprivation, most of us kind of know already what that feels like. We all know what it, what it feels like to not have a good night's sleep. So you may feel more irritable, more anxious, more stressed out. It may be harder to make decisions. Jeff Bezos actually talked about this recently in an interview where he said he makes sure he gets eight hours of sleep every night because he's got so many important decisions to make each day. And then he has all his important meetings before 10 a.m. Um, because that's when he's most refreshed and awake and alert. So we know that when, when you've had a bad night's sleep, it's harder to make decisions. You may also notice that your heart rate is actually elevated. Um, there are studies that show that just even an hour of sleep deprivation can increase your resting heart rate. So there are real physiological effects that can happen as well. With long-term sleep deprivation or poor sleep quality. So I'm kind of um, lumping those into the same category, but there are different strategies yeah. to address each of those things. But with long-term issues with sleep, we know that it increases the risk of physical and medical conditions. So things like cardiovascular disease, irregular heartbeat, so uh, cardiac arrhythmias, uncontrolled hypertension or high blood pressure can occur. And even uh, there's an increased risk of Alzheimer's dementia with long-term sleep issues. So those are some of the medical issues that can happen. We also know that psychiatrically, there's a higher risk of depression and anxiety and long-term issues with stress as well. There's a kudos about not needing sleep. There's always a thing here in the UK around, you know, Margaret Thatcher only had four hours sleep and she managed to run the country. That's how I operate as well. And look, it may individuals' sleep patterns are different, aren't they? And would you advise that people find the natural balance for them? I think it's seven hours, eight hours. Is that the norm or it, it, did some people need less sleep? That's exactly right. So everyone has their own individual baseline needs for sleep. Most adults need somewhere between seven to nine hours of sleep on average. Now, of course, there's going to be variation there. So there are some people who might need closer to six or six and a half. There are people who are considered long sleepers who may need 
nine and a half or even 10 hours of sleep, that most people fall into the seven to nine sort of range. And that can also vary from night to night. So what I see in my practice is sometimes people get very fixated on this number of, I must get eight hours of sleep every night. And then it starts to create anxiety mm -hmm. and stress and insomnia, ironically, uh, over the long run. So you don't want to focus too much on getting the exact number every night because there will be night to night variation. But the idea is to shoot for that average of about seven hours, which is adequate for most people. Right. Got it. Hi, my name's Neve Houlihan and I'm a project financial controller based in Derbyshire. I definitely feel like my sleep is disrupted during periods of study because that is obviously a, a symptom of stress and I think it's pretty normal to be stressed during uh, periods of study. But to help this, I really try to get myself in a routine, stop looking at my phone a while before bed and, and stop with any screen time. That is difficult, um, I think particularly for our generation, sort of the last thing we do before bed is go on our phone and first thing when we get up as well. So I do my best to avoid that, but it's not always possible. But the trick for me is lavender pillow spray. Um, lavender is meant to be really good for sleep and I find it quite calming and therapeutic as well. So that's definitely one to try if you do feel like your sleep is affected during time of study. Once again, obviously, people, you know, have been working from home. They've been staring at screens. Uh, mobile devices are, you know, everywhere these days. And people keep them, you know, by the side of their beds. They're their alarm clocks. They're the thing that they reach out for first thing. So what, what are your thoughts on mobile devices in the bedroom, so to speak, as far as interrupting sleep or disrupting sleep? Yeah, so... The blanket statement is I don't recommend mobile devices in the in the bedroom. And there's a few reasons for this. You know, a lot of us have heard about the blue light and there's all these products out there that block, you know, blue light glasses and there's filters you can download on your devices and such. Um, and those are helpful because uh, what happens with blue light is it suppresses melatonin production and melatonin is the hormone of sleep. Uh, so melatonin is produced in an environment of darkness, in dim light. That's when your, your brain starts to produce that. So exposure to bright light or blue light actually suppresses that melatonin production. However, the caveat there is that it's not just about the light. You know, if you're looking at a small phone, that actually might not be enough light to have a significant impact on your melatonin, but the activity that you're doing on your device is also important. So if you are watching TV, for example, that's actually not so bad um, because it's a passive activity. And for some people, listening to their TV, watching TV might actually help them fall asleep because it gets their mind off of all the stuff that was happening during the day. But if you are on your phone and you're scrolling through social media, you're looking at what's on Facebook, you're looking at your emails, you're looking at your assignment that you have due tomorrow, that's probably not going to help you sleep. So it's not just the light, but also the activity that you're engaging in. What I've learned really, just on a personal level, is that if you continually have conversations with your inner dialogue, it activates your thought process. And it's no good saying to yourself, I've got a big day tomorrow, my exams are tomorrow. Why am I more awake than I've ever been any night this week on the most important night of my life? That very inner conversation is completely the wrong thing to do. And I've learned the art of distraction. So if you do have a very active uh, internal dialogue, 
I found it quite useful, which kind of ties into what you're saying, to, to actually just distract it, just swap it onto something that's completely nothing to do with what I'm thinking about. And then I'm almost somewhere in the middle of that, I get confused and, and I fall to sleep. That's brilliant, Stuart, because you've kind of hit hit the crux of, of cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is a, a type of therapy that, that is very effective for people who have sleep issues. And it's all about reframing and um, challenging those negative thoughts about sleep. Because people who have sleep issues, they think about sleep all the time, right? Like people have insomnia, they're on Google, they're on Facebook, they're, they're looking up how to sleep better. Um, they're thinking about it, they're talking about it all the time. But people who are good sleepers don't really think about it. It's just something that you do. And so part of cognitive behavioral ther therapy is really addressing those negative thoughts about sleep and reducing the hyper arousal response, which is when your, your body and mind are revved up. And when you're in that state, it's harder to fall asleep. So um, what you're doing is that exactly aligned with that. Oh, good. That's encouraging, isn't it? So that's great. Yeah. And, and you look, you've gone into the next area I want to get to, is which is how do you... So I'm, I'm, once again, I'm in this in environment. Of, we've got a big day. There's an exam the next day. You know, I, I wanted people uh, listening to this to appreciate that sleep is, is kind of like a big deal. Uh, and I think we've talked th through that, you know, from a mental and a cognitive point of view, sleep's important. The next barrier then that sort of flows from that is, yeah, I get that, Stuart, Nishi, you've made a very good point there, but I still can't do it. I've gone down this sort of not quite counting sheep approach, but yeah, this distraction strategy. You've mentioned CBT. What other things would you recommend strategies for people uh, who struggle with sleep, appreciate they need it and it's important to their their well-being. What, what sort of top tips would you have for people who are struggling to sleep? Get into bed around the same time every night and then get up at the same time every day. So regular sleep schedule is really important, not only to just make sure you're getting adequate sleep, but also to ensure that you're getting good quality sleep. Um, and we know that when people have an irregular sleep schedule, it causes something called social jet lag, which is just like jet lag when you're mm -hmm. traveling across time zones. It's a, you get the same symptoms of feeling kind of heavy and tired and lethargic and feeling foggy uh, without actually traveling. So keeping a regular schedule is really important to combat those symptoms of what we call social jet lag. However, the next thing I'm going to recommend may seem a little counter to that, which is to not get into bed until you are sleepy and ready to fall asleep. And what that looks like is your eyes are heavy and your head is nodding. So if you are someone who tends to have difficulty falling asleep, and you may be in that hyper arousal state that I mentioned, then you don't want to get into bed when you are still awake, when you're not ready to fall asleep. Because what will happen is your brain will start to associate the bed with being awake and that's going to feed into the cycle of insomnia. So you don't want to create that association. So what you want to do is instead of getting into bed, do something quietly on your sofa or if you have a comfortable chair, you could read a book, something a little bit boring, not, not the latest Stephen King or anything like that, but do something quietly so that you can calm down. And when you start feeling sleepy, that's when you want to get into bed. So those are two really important things. So getting up around the same time every day, not getting into bed until you're sleepy, and then finding something to help you unwind and relax in the evening. The other area I wanted to to explore is is the well being part of sleep, and what what impact does sort of lack of sleep have 
with regards to well-being and, and, and just generally how you feel mentally, I suppose, to a certain extent. But how does lack of sleep affect your mental state? There's a bi-directional relationship between sleep and mental health. And what that means is that when you're not sleeping well, it affects your mental health. And when you're experiencing issues with mental health, like depression, anxiety, or stress, it causes issues with sleep. So the, the two things go hand in hand. So you can't really address one without the other. Um, we also know that people who have depression uh, are more likely to relapse into a future episode of depression if they start to develop sleep issues. So if you have a group of people who have depression, one group sleeps well, the other group doesn't, the group that doesn't sleep well is, is going to be more likely to experience depression again in the future. Um, we also know that one night of sleep deprivation can increase your anxiety levels the next day. And you may notice that, personally, you may notice that maybe you're a little bit more snappy mm. with your family, maybe you're more irritable with your coworkers. And people will say that, won't they? I'm sorry I'm like this. I didn't get much sleep. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. yeah. Perhaps it's because I didn't get much sleep last night. Yeah, and yeah, they're right. Exactly, that's exactly right. So sleep is so incredibly fundamental, as we've been speaking about today, um, not only to your performance and your learning and your physical health, but also to your mental well-being. Got it. So what about um, you mentioned a little bit about CBT? Can you get help with that? Is it something you can do yourself? Is there online help? Is it is it stuff like that? Yeah, so um, there's CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, and then there's CBTI, which is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is a very specific specialized form of CBT for sleep and insomnia. So for anyone out there who is interested in um, getting help with sleep or insomnia, you want to make sure that you're doing CBTI because it is a very specific protocol that is different than, than CBT. Now, where do you do CBTI? Uh, you can do it on an app. There's an app called CBTI Coach, which was developed here in the US by the VA. The VA is the Veterans Administration. And that's a free app that anyone can access and, and use. And that kind of walks you through the fundamentals of, of CBTI. There are also some paid apps. There's one called Somrist, S-O-M-R-Y-S-T. And that is actually a prescription CBTI program so that your, your physician can actually prescribe that to you. And there's another paid app called Sleepio, uh, which has psychologists and sleep coaches on staff that kind of walk you through the CBTI protocol. You can also do CBTI in person one-on-one -on -one with a trained therapist. So some psychiatrists and psychologists are actually trained in a CBTI protocol. And if you go to the Society of Behavioral Sleep Medicine website, you can find practitioners in your area. And then some hospitals and clinics also offer CBTI in a group format. It doesn't have to be done one-on-one. -on -one. So it can be done in a workshop that's usually eight to 12 weeks in duration. So there are multiple avenues to explore there. So I think I think in summary, Nishi, this you know the two things that we were looking to sort of talk about really was this: why do we do it? And you know, sleep isn't for wimps. Sleep's a, an integral part of the learning process that helps helps consolidate memories and clears down your sort of thought process for the next day. And secondly, from what you've said, it's almost like a, a, it's a it's a habit. That the, the the better you sleep, or the the way that you sleep, that that mental well-being, that that sort of consistency of sleep, is kind of helps with stress anyway. So if you are sleeping well and you've got into this habit, like you've said, of either going to bed at a set time or or going to bed when you're sleepy, if you if you get into that that position weeks before the big event, 
then that sleep can still happen naturally and therefore you're in the best mental place that you That's can That's exactly right. And uh, I'll just add as well, because uh, I know we're speaking to accounting students, that sleep is an economic issue also. All right. So in the US, sleep deprivation has shown to result in a $411 billion cost, either because of sleep issues or insomnia. Workers lose an average of about 11 days of productivity every year in the U.S. because of sleep issues. And so some major companies like uh, Aetna, which is a private health insurance company here in the U.S., they actually incentivize their employees to get more sleep. So they pay them to get, get sleep. And they found that productivity has increased significantly since they've uh, started this program. And then I'm in Silicon Valley, so these companies like uh, Facebook... Google, Cisco, they all have nap rooms in their offices because they know how important sleep is to their employee productivity and their bottom line. Gosh, okay. Yeah, so oh, that, that, that's, that'll probably switch a lot of people onto the idea of the importance <laughs> of sleep when, when it's got a monetary value attached to it. Nishi, look, thank you so much for your time. If there was one key message that you would want to get across to people, uh, what would that be? And then secondly, you've mentioned some apps, but I know you've got a YouTube channel. Is there anywhere that people can find out more about the sort of stuff that you do or if they want to learn more about sleep and the importance of sleep? Is there any resources that people could find? So what I'd like to leave the audience with is, is pay attention to your individual needs and make sleep a priority. It's a priority just like exercise and nutrition and stress reduction. Sleep is foundational to all of those things. So listen to your body, listen to your needs. If you feel like you need to improve your sleep, do it gradually. It's not going to happen overnight, but just give yourself some time to, to really um, make sure you're getting adequate sleep and you'll function so much better. And then to find more information, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, it's at intrabalance, I-N-T-R-A balance. So I speak all about holistic ways to improve your sleep and mental health. That's great. Nishi, thank you so much for joining me on the Captain Learn Better podcast. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thank you for listening to Kaplan's Learn Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find us. Let's continue the conversation. Follow us on social at Kaplan UK and let us know what you'd like to hear discussed on future episodes.